right, that's it. Samuel, what, what the hell are you doing? There is no way I'm giving this twat a single penny of my money. Don't be ridiculous. No, why should I? Why should I? <laughs> he comes in here on the day of our father's funeral, tries to blackmail us, and then he slags off my novel. Who does he think he is? He has the photos. Let him show the photos. I don't care. Daniel! No, Robert, no, Robert. I give up, okay? I give up. I can't take any more. If that's what he's going to do, then fine, let him do it. <sighs> fine. Fine. <sighs> what? Please, get out of my way. Let's, let's just discuss this in a minute. There is nothing to discuss. Get out of my way. Hello. Listening people. It's me. One oh. of your hosts, Ryan Swinsky. Oh, but like... Oh, what was that, sorry? Hello, I'm Bartek. Ah, uh, thank you. You said it in English. Uh, I needed that. I don't. I don't. I don't speak Polish. Although I am Polish, I don't speak the language. You know so. what Polish reminds me of? What? Spit and Polish presents Pictures Powwow. The you show. One, you mean one of the top ten rated Polish podcasts? I haven't checked in a while, but I assume we are still at number four. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's been a new Polish podcast. That's oh come no, out, which is very rare. Because a lot of Poland is in a constant state of Lent, where they don't podcast. Yeah. But there's a few like us who break the and rules or live in countries elsewhere. They're dealing with those two topical missiles from a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. That's your Polish facts. Uh, Bartek, how are you doing this fine day? I'm doing okay. Yeah? yeah. Just, just fine? I mean, I'm a little bit sick, but... Well, Bartek's we... sick and bloody tired. But, you know, I, I don't want to say anything topical. Of, of, of... It's like, of... ooh, Bartek's sick in this episode. Does that mean he's always sick because I can always listen to this episode? Bartek is sick and tired of talking about the podcast when he would rather be doing the podcast. So let's just rip the band-aid off. We're doing our series, Pictures Powwow, where we talk about a movie that has come recommended. And we have a, a, a rhythm, a cycle to the recommendations. What is that, Bartek? Well, that rhythm or cycle is that we have three weeks, and in each week, something different happens. But every three weeks, that same thing from that week will happen again. Mm-hmm. What are those things? I'll tell you those things. The things are, in the first week, me. Me. I, Bartek, pick a film. That's right. In the second week, I'll tell you later, because that's what we're currently in, and you know we'll save it for last. And in the third week, it's the listening people. That's you. right. You, and also the other yous listening to this right now, can yeah. recommend us a film in any way you can. Yeah, we have an email address. We have social medias. You can just... Drop us a line with a movie that uh, you want us to cover, and uh, we'll add it to the list and uh, get around to it eventually. So, Ryan, we're in week two right now, which I believe, if it's not me, mm-hmm. and if it's not them, the yous, mm-hmm. it must be you, the you, in the room with me, Ryan Slowinski. Yes, I recommend a movie, and I did recommend a film. The one of discussion for this episode is Death at a Funeral. If you have not seen this British version of it, there is an American one from 2010. This is the 2007 film. Yeah, the Kevin 07 cut. And brought me back. And I just want to say for those listening people out there who heard the last episode, last week's episode, 
Bartek corrected me and said that it wasn't from 2007 and he thought it was from earlier. And I just want to say I was right. Well, I didn't correct you. I just thought it was. You interrupted me with a, a tone of being like, oh, I think it was earlier, Ryan. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll take your word for it. But I feel, and we'll get into it. But if you have not seen this film, we recommend you give it a watch for yourself. But a brief description of it would go as such. How would you, Bartek, personally pitch uh, Death at a Funeral to somebody who hasn't seen it, but you're you're wanting to make sure that they would watch it. Um, so it is a British uh, black comedy film, dark comedy film that is set entirely during a funeral that is happening on this one day, um, in which a bunch of friends and family of the deceased, which is an older man who had a mm. wife and two grown adult uh, uh, sons. Um, he is the one who has passed away, and so he has, you know, a, a generation, a few generations of family, like, you know, a few people above him, one below him, who all come gather together, and we mostly follow his two sons and his niece and nephew, who are mm. siblings to each other, um, and they all have their own sort of personal baggage that they bring to the funeral where, you know, the son has to do the eulogy and he feels like he's in his brother's shadow. The other brother has come from New York and he seems to just be, you know, focused on his own mm -hmm. ego. Um, the nephew is like a drug deal that he wants to get to later on. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of hijinks, you know, get carried into the funeral unintentionally. And the niece uh, has her boyfriend who I don't think has met the, the her father yet i at least he doesn't approve of him yeah well she, okay she brings her boyfriend who's this kind of nervous guy um and you know that brings with it its own sort of set of hijinks so all of these little elements plus a few other like you know friends and family come together and a stranger that the family doesn't know at all. and and a stranger played by peter dinklage um they all come together and all of their sort of eccentricities uh interrupt or negatively affect the funeral in some way which ensues hilarity and the characters all go on journeys and arcs where they develop and become better yeah. uh, so watch it for yourself it's a it's a it's a rather entertaining little film uh, but we're going to get into uh, what we think about it and our overall history and relationship and Bartek, I cannot remember off the top of my head mm -hmm. have you seen this before I have I saw this in the cinema. Oh, right. Yes, so I, I associate this film with, like, the old design of Chadston Shopping Centre. Mm -hmm, I remember. Here in Melbourne, so that's where my confusion came in for, like, oh, I think it was a bit older than that, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it must have been 2007 because that's when the film came out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you have any other recollections about this? Do you remember why you went to go see it? Was this a, your mum pick or was this something that was of interest for I cannot, you? Did you go see it with any other people, friends? What, what was I cannot remember who I saw it with. Um, it might have been my stepbrother or it might have been my mum and my stepbrother. Um, that's likely. I don't think it was any friends that I saw it with. Um, I remember that I didn't know what it was. I just heard that, like, oh, this is a new comedy, the film that's come out, and it should be funny. And I remember very much enjoying it. Um, whenever someone would mention it, I'm like, oh, yes, I remember seeing that. I remember it being funny. Um, didn't remember too much about it. I think whenever I tried to think back on it, it was all 
stuff regarding Peter Dinklage in that study room, uh-huh, that okay. like darkish reddish room. Yeah. Um. So when you recommended it last week, I'm like, oh yes, I remember that being a good time. I don't remember too much about it, so this should be, yeah, a good experience. So I have a very vivid history with this uh, feature film. So growing up in rural Australia, my hometown specifically did have a, a cinema. It was the uh, 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 yeah. It was a small cinema. They would only play one movie. There was no multiple choices. It was okay. This is the movie. We're going to play this until we get the next movie. So it wasn't. Oh, going so to... not even a cycle of like Mm-mm. this day. Okay. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. Wow. So if you wanted to see the King's Speech when it came out, the the bandbox theater is what we called it. Uh, what it was called. Uh, it would only play the King's Speech for a couple of weeks and then it would move on to the next thing. And so that meant that we didn't get a lot of movies. And so I was in a neighboring town, uh, a more developed town, more of a, uh, I guess, virgining on a, a minor little city. I can't remember what those are called. Do you, is there a name for that when it's, when it's a town where it's, it's developed enough, but it's not a city yet. I feel like there's a name for that transitionary point where it hasn't developed to a large enough uh. status for a city, but it isn't. A town. I don't know. What's a township? Is that uh, different from a town? I'm not. Uh, see, people email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com to give us these town related answers. But Port Macquarie, uh, I was there. My dad was working uh, at, a, at, a, at a job there. And so we're waiting to pick him up from work. And I remember the, the cinema there had a big poster of Death at a Funeral. And it was a poster where we are in the ground and they're looking down at us. So all of the characters that are featured in the film. And I recognized so many of the cast members. I had not heard a single thing about this film. I knew nothing other than the title, some of the cast, and the director, Frank Oz. I, I, I love Frank Oz films. I am a big fan of Little Shop of Horrors, which he directed. I'm also a big fan of uh, uh, What About Bob, which is uh, a rather interesting little film with uh, Bill Murray and uh, has nightmarish behind-the-scenes stuff behind it, but it's a, it's a really entertaining film for me. And uh, Bowfinger is, I think, probably one of Eddie Murphy's greatest films and one of the most uh, overlooked, not, well, I wouldn't say, but is definitely an overlooked Steve Martin film. Let's just say that. I don't know if you've ever even heard of Bowfinger. But I'm not sure. I what I'll say is you would love it. Okay. So Frank Oz is a name that really sticks because also we all know him from the Muppets and he does voice work and he's Yoda. And But I always associate Frank Oz for his uh, direction. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors is a, is a real mainstay in my household I was about as to a say, kid. Two days before we did our Mouse Hunt episode, and you recommended this film, you showed me Little Shop of Horrors. Now I'm mm-hmm. starting to wonder, like, huh, coincidence? I, I I think partially yes, but because, I, like I said at the end of the last episode, Mouse Hunt just sparked, like, I feel like this these would pair well together while they're yeah. not the exact same. They, they, I feel like you could have a good night watching these films. Uh, but... Uh, I eventually got to see it. We we had to wait because it was one of those things where the poster was at the cinema, but they weren't showing the movie yet. Mm-hmm. And then we eventually saw it in a different town altogether. So a third town. Yes. Uh, and it was the same town where I saw The Incredibles at when I was younger. And I remember very vividly my experience with The Incredibles film is uh, I had 
I think it's the worst cinema going experience I've ever had in my entire life. Stinking hot summer.、Uh-huh. The cinema is basically in a little town hall, so you do have like big wooden doors at the side of the cinema where you can see the sunlight beaming through, like <laughs> underneath. So you are getting the、uh, the projection fucked with, and it was filled with like little kids.、Mm. So little kids who are hot and stuck in a big room want to run around. And do shit, and so I saw The Incredibles there, and I always remember my parents swearing off going to that cinema. But we did go for Death at a Funeral, and we had a marvelous time. Again, knew nothing about it. I'd never looked anything up. I just remembered the title, the image of the poster, and some of the guest,、uh, some of the actors in it. So that was it. Bam! Off to the races, and then eventually I bought it on DVD, and we've watched it many a times over the years. So. It's been a little while since I have actually watched Death at a Funeral, so I was keen on giving it a revisit. And I thought, hey, why not? Why not do it for the pod? We've had a couple of、uh, serious movies as of late, and、uh, then you gave us Mouse Hunt. So I was like,、oh, you know, let's let's kind of lean into some more silly affair. Yeah. So how was it on this watch for you? Yeah, you know, fifteen years later, watching it for a second time, I had a good time with it. There had some very nice laughs, some very fun character stuff going on. Um, and even the opening credits and the ending credits had like some actual like fun little things going on that was yeah really enjoyable.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. We 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 discussed that in an episode recently, didn't we? Where it was about uh was it about Mouse Hunt? I can't remember where we talked about opening credits and like how they're fun. Oh, it was the、uh, City, City Slickers. Slickers.、Yeah. City Slickers. I thought about that when I was watching. I was like, oh yeah, they don't. This the credits are telling a story. We've done um. Maybe I'm forgetting some of them, but two that come off the top of my head are films that have a sort of similar setup. They're not about funerals, but weddings. So we've done、mm-hmm. the wedding date before,、mm-hmm. and we did Love Wedding Repeat, where both those films kind of had a similar setup to this one, where it's about an an event where all the family and friends are going to gather. Um, and you've got like the the kooky characters that come in. You've got you've got some serious ones.、Uh, both of them are you know British films, so there's like、mm-hmm. this like British air to them.、Uh, you usually have like the one slimy character that comes in who's like not taking it seriously and is a bit antagonistic. Drugs, drugs, yeah, like all these like little like oh how embarrassing if that were to happen in real life things going on. So it was very similar setup to that one.、Um, And this one does also have romance elements, but like not as strongly, not as strongly. No, that's not really a it's focus. You, like one, like the niece character, right? Much, yeah,、uh, there's even connections.、Uh, put a pin in love wedding repeat for now. We'll get back to that.、Mm-hmm. Wedding date. The father of uh, of uh, I think it was like the niece and the nephew, right? In the wedding date, they were in this movie. So, I, I was looking up the cast on Wikipedia after I watched the film, and I think like the the stern disapproving、yes. father was like the stepdad in that. Film. Yes. So, so to clarify, the stern father in the、uh, death at a funeral,、uh, the one who's the the doctor as well,、mm-hmm. he was in the wedding date, and he plays a very similar type of you know I'm a. I'm stern, Britishy folk, and you have to, you know,、it's, not as stern, but like you know, what I mean. In a few months, I think it'll be like seven years since we've done that episode, so I can't quite remember.、Mm. But was he my favorite character? In yes,、that? I'm pretty sure my favorite、yeah. character was actually the groom in that movie, who was played by Jack Davenport, the、uh, Captain Norrington from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But 
Uh, yeah, there are some connective tissues here. For myself, I very much enjoyed it. I thought it uh, held up quite well. There are some issues I have with the movie and some things that I don't find funny now as an adult, but I remembered finding very funny when I was a teenager. So it is great to actually be able to document that kind of growth or that kind of uh, difference of opinions of things. So to just touch on it. Uh, growing up, the you know as a teen, the Alan Tudyk side of the story, the the uh, the boyfriend who gets uh, high on drugs and does all of the crazy stuff, that was always a standout for me. I remember finding that very funny, and I love that performance. It's very over the top. And this time around watching it, there was only maybe one or two moments that gained a laugh from me from that, and it was actually the part of the film I surprisingly cared the least about on this mm. particular watch. Everything else I was more drawn to. So that was a surprise to myself because I also love that actor, Alan Tudyk. He was run, one of the reasons I saw this film in the first place. And uh, it was very amusing to read on the IMDb trivia about how... Uh, He's doing a British accent in the movie because I couldn't tell you if he was. Uh, I, I I didn't hear a slight tinge of a British accent coming from him. <laughs> so uh, fail, I guess. Uh, like uh, I guess just quickly to bat that to you. Did you know that? Dan? Like, was that something? Like, did you did you think he was British? I I never even considered it. I wasn't really looking out for like, oh, who are fake Brits in this film? So I I just I wasn't really paying. The only two Americans are him and Peter Dinklage. Mm. So Peter Dinklage has his American accent. Yeah, he, he was Alan, the only one that stood out. Yeah, Alan Tudyk apparently is doing a British accent, but it doesn't sound well, British to me. Well, like, I trivia, didn't even consider it. Well, the trivia kept talking about how he's from Texas. I certainly didn't hear a Texan accent. I know what Alan Tudyk sounds like, so he didn't sound that different to me. Uh, so, mm. so you've most, like, I mean, he was Pirate Steve in Dodgeball. So uh, he's been in everything, Alan Tudyk. We've seen, we, you've seen him in something. Or heard I know that I looked up his filmography and there were a couple of things, yeah. But uh, 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 so to get into, I guess, things that may not have worked or things that didn't land or, or just didn't uh, hit as funny uh, this time around, what were, were there any things like that for you? Because again, this is your second time viewing it. It's been 15 years, as you mm -hmm. said, so your tastes have changed. So what Yeah, you I, well, I can't really speak to that first experience because I really don't remember much outside of like the Peter Dinklage stuff, but... To you know, jump on your point with the Alan Tudyk stuff, it was definitely one of the plots in the film that I felt like not necessarily wasn't funny, but like had like pacing or rhythm issues with it. So obviously, part of the comedy is that he is you know very high on acid, um, and he's doing silly stuff, and you know I found it all funny, like you know mm. when he's playing with the like lawn chicken thing. Mm -hmm. Um, toilet paper, toilet paper, things like that, and like all these little moments, like they were funny. Um, there were moments where you know he was being stopped by his girlfriend; uh, <laughs> those were funny. Um, but a lot of them did kind of drag on a little bit, and he had occasional moments of relative clarity, which I felt was convenient. Was yeah, convenient. Like when they were sitting him down and saying, like, okay, don't freak out, but you are high on acid, and, like, he was, you know, yelling at the brother about it. Well, admittedly, they did have to take 20 minutes to help him get his sight and hearing back for him to yes. hear that information. Yes, that's true, but in that moment, it felt like, oh, okay, they've they've actually managed to, you know, get him mm -hmm. a moment of clarity, so maybe from this point on, 
it'll his experience will be a bit more of a personal struggle mm. where like he's trying to keep clarity. But but then after that, you know, he runs to the toilet and it feels like like five times they cut back and it's still just him mm. inside doing something weird, making noises, and the and his girlfriend is just sitting outside and it's mm. like, okay, can this develop already? And eventually It does. Eventually we're like, oh, he's stepping outside the window, he's naked. It's like, mm. okay, we can finally keep going with this plot. It's not just, you know, repeating the same thing. I wanna thank the film and the writers for also avoiding the trope of person high on acid which is they go go up on a high thing and think they can fly i i almost was expecting that to happen but that does not happen he gets up there but he's he's sound of mind enough not to because that's an age-old tired thing that we hear all the time with he, this but he he threatens jumping because of yeah, he reasons. straight up he straight up acknowledges that like if i jump i'm gonna die and that's the threat yeah so i i just want to commend them i totally agree with you with uh with those statements that you said about how it can be a bit stopping and starting but i did find myself uh having moments of amusement mainly when it was him interacting with the funeral service itself, that's its problem. Is a lot of his being high humor. No, no. Here's the here's here's the real truth of it. When you see the initial pitch of this happen, where she gives him the Valium, we know it isn't Valium, and yet you go, oh, okay. Oh, I can't wait to see the movie develop where this guy's high as fuck at the funeral, and you get that for maybe just like two scenes really, and then the rest of the time it's either before the funeral or when the funeral is already on pause because of his actions and he's up in the toilet and then he's up on the roof and then by the time he comes back down to the funeral to interact with anyone else he's more leveled now so that was a part of my disappointment was i would have liked a lot more uh, moments of hijinks or, or whimsy or, or him being high humor pair him up with like the rest of the ensemble for a scene yeah, yeah. or have him or have more scenes dedicated to the the weird little things that happens at funerals, a weird small talk you make before a service starts, or I would have loved to, and this is something the film directly avoids, which is I would have loved to have, for him to talk to like the funeral director, which doesn't exist in this movie. It's like the chapel, it's reverend. We have the funeral people at the beginning, they dump them off and then they just go, which I, it's not really how it works but i would have loved like when you go to a funeral i mean we've both been to funerals there's just little things that are uh that happen at them that i would have loved to have seen be implemented into this movie and you shove alan tudyk's character into those so that there's more social awkward faux pas because what i what really drew me to the comedy of this of this was not the Alan Tudyk gurning and being over-the-top physical comedy, but what it was was that British matter-of-fact comedy of errors uh, trying to be mannered whilst everything is falling apart. So imagine throwing Alan Tudyk's character into that more often. But like you say, they they isolate him upstairs and then eventually he goes out onto the roof and then eventually everyone notices. And even that... I wish there was more comedy played with all the people down there noticing this naked man, but that is mainly there to serve as a distraction so that the other plot can do what it needs to do. And even the fact that he's put upstairs, like, it even isolates the possibility of, like, him interacting with Uncle Alfie at that point, because mm. he even mentions, like, oh, I can't go up the stairs, so... Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's 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 now that we're talking about it, yeah, there's a lot of things going on with that subplot, which I can see why it wasn't my favorite. Yeah, he's Alan Tudyk's wonderful though. He he yeah. really dedicates it. I would have also preferred a little bit more of time or understanding of Alan Tudyk's character before he got high. There were just some statements that the dad made or um the Ewan Brennan character, the the sleazy guy who's trying to hit on her, yeah. who's um Spud from uh, Train Spotting and uh, we remember him of course from from uh, uh, around the world in 80 days. He was the uh, sleazy police inspector guy that was chasing after them a lot. Uh, mm, yeah. yeah, there was we someone really like lo- that. We really loved him in that movie. Yeah, he, was, sounding he got a lot of slapstick thrown his way. He was like a tall, skinny guy. He looked guy familiar, but I couldn't Oh, he's in a, a million things as well. You, you've seen or heard him in a lot. But, uh, yeah, there was just moments where I was like, ah, that's telling me about this Alan Tudyk character, but I don't know who he is. All I know is this version of him that's high. I, I, I think that if we got to know a little more, had a little more before you got high, I the truth okay. Did you actually feel much sympathy for his plight as a person, or did you just see it as a comic thing that happened? Because for myself, I didn't really feel much plight for him. I just looked at it as a thing to laugh at. Uh, I I did feel, you know, some sympathy for his plight because the way he's introduced, he he had a very nervous I think I was gonna say nervous energy to it, but it was like nervous meekness to him really. Mm. Um and it's very clear that this is a character who has things that need to be overcome, which we later learn is like, okay, the the father's disapproving of him. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting a lot of the details from that early part of the film, but I do remember that this was a character that's like, there's plenty of narrative possibilities for this character in like a dark comedy that has very comedy of error things going on. So the fact that, yeah, he is very much, uh, not sound of mind for most of the film means that, you know, you close a lot of doors to make way for a couple now, another thing that didn't land for me on uh, this particular viewing, and uh, this is a very specific criticism, this is something that uh, I even have a hard time grasping, but I just know this is true for myself, is with him and a couple of others, again, the the Ewan Bremner character and uh, uh, what was the friend's name who's the hypochondriac? Uh, Charles? Charlie? But um, the guy who like had to help Uncle Alfie. Yes, yeah. I think those characters in particular, what they what they did for me that detracted was, and it's not even necessarily the actors, but yes, and the actors in part, but the characters were definitely played as the comedy. Like this is a comedy. Mm. Ha ha, laugh. This is wacky. There was a definite energy or presentation of this is funny. You see him, he's grinning rictusly while walking towards him. And I'm not saying that these things are not funny. What my complaint is, it they they stood out as overtly like we are being funny with these, but while the rest of the cast and the rest of the characters and the rest of the movie, the humor actually comes a lot from how seriously people are playing it. Yeah, that British element kind of thing. And Peter Dinklage is one of the funniest performances in the movie because he's playing it like it's a drama. There's no 
real wink to the camera about the absurdity that is his uh, what his story goes through. He plays it like this is a real, real solid dramatic story, and so does our lead Matthew Matthew uh, Matthew McFadden, who is the who was Mister Darcy in the Pride and Prejudice movie. He is saddled with some amazingly funny moments, but he's never. That character in that performance is never portraying it like he's in a comedy. Yeah, he's While, completely straight pretty much the whole and film. Same with his brother. His brother could easily be that, easily. But that actor and that character overall is, even though they have funny lines and funny observations and reactions, like, uh, Dad was a gay? Like, it's still played as if this is a real thing that's happening for these characters. It's not like a wink. And, what I, and with a lot of comedies... That can work. Like I like a Will Ferrell movie from time to time. I like uh, 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 Walk Hard and stuff like that, where they're playing it up like it's a comedy. Uh, and that and that there's there's a time and a place for that. Like the Naked Gun movies, wonderful examples where Leslie Nielsen plays it super straight, but at the same time you know that there's a there's a wink in there. Like you know mm, what I'm doing. We yeah. know what we're doing here. This is all funny, but. Uh, Death at Funeral 2 is riding the line of being hilariously over the top and absurd and actually being sentimental at times, being genuine and sweet. And for me, there were just a couple of those characters that I looked at and just went, you are here just to be funny people. I felt that a lot when um, that friend, the hypochondriac, sat mm. down next to the, the widow mm-hmm. like on that bench and like he was telling a story about a guy got stabbed in the neck. A guy getting stabbed in the neck. And, like, when he was, like, describing where specifically he got stabbed, it's like, okay, this is pushing it a little bit. And what about the the um, uh, the sleazy guy? Like, that character is completely useless. The one that's trying to hit on, mm. on what's she, the niece, right? Uh, yeah, the niece, yeah. What did you think of him? Because, you know, he's, he's in a lot of the movie. He just keeps popping in. Like, whenever the movie's got something happening, it would just cut to him doing, like... That. It's it's hard for me to remember that Love Wedding Repeat movie, like the little details of it, but I swear there was like an identical character in that film. It, mm-hmm. And it just felt like, okay, this is this is the type, what you need to have one of these in this type of like family gathering film because, you know, you've got to have the one like outsider who doesn't want to be there, who's not invested, but. But uh, they have their own sick agenda. Yeah, their own sick agenda. But, and it, yeah, it really doesn't amount to much. Like, most of his scenes, like, with the niece, the person that he's lusting over, is just him getting blown off. Like, there's he, no development in the gag. Yeah, even when, even when he does, like, you know, do the bad thing and, like, start making out with her, it's, like, immediately interrupted by, like, mm-hmm. him being freaked out. They're like, oh shit, her boyfriend's naked. And, you know, he, the, the boyfriend freaks out, but the, his girlfriend, the niece, just immediately blows up, like, no, I wasn't kissing him, and the movie just moves on from there. There's no development of the comedy that could come from this idea. It's Once you know what it is, it just is that. There's no surprises like there is in the rest of the film with the rest of the storylines. And so you look at it and go, meh. Meh, like, meh. And they even established, like, because he's, like, the best friend of the hypochondriac for mm-hmm. whatever reason, and there was that- No, 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 no. That's a great criticism, for whatever reason. <laughs> I have no clue why they know each other or why they're you, friends. For some reason, it didn't register to me until I said for whatever reason, but you're right. Um, but, but they established, like, that uh, 
you know, he he screwed him over at one point because he didn't help him like mm-hmm. push Uncle Alfie up the up the hill. So you could have maybe played on that dynamic a bit mm-hmm. more, where like he is with his friend for most of it, and he needs to be relied on for something, but he just keeps you know blowing getting, him off, blowing him off because a woman's nearby or whatever. That would have been w- wonderful. Mm. Uh, you kind of get that with uh, with the brother, the the rich brother at times. Like, oh, I could help, but oh, look. She's young and fit now, and he goes off to talk to that girl. It was a surprisingly low-cut dress for a funeral, by the way. I just wanted to <laughs> mention that. Yeah, so we wouldn't one of those. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, those are just some of the, the criticisms I have. Another one, just to throw it out there, because I actually don't have too many. There's little things that may pop up as we, as we keep talking about it. But another one was, I don't really care for the ending. Uh, I like the scene where... Matthew McFadden's just sitting on the couch and like just oh my god and then you know his wife comes in and he puts his legs on her and they have a discussion with the brother and all I love that but then it's just like oh and Uncle Alfie is now on the roof naked and high and that's the end of the movie I'm like yeah but what about Peter Dinklage like my brain cannot <laughs> yeah. get over what happened to Peter what happened to Peter Dinklage like what did they do with Peter Dinklage pretty much as soon as our main character like does his they eulogy. tried to kill him yeah as soon as our main character does the eulogy like Peter Dinklage is irrelevant. Yes. Yes, yes. Which is unfortunate because he's really good. But that is my main uh, dirty laundry that I have to throw at death at a funeral. Mm. I want to say that I very much had a great time. Now, I want to... Even those negative things, they weren't, like, offensively bad. It was just like... Not at all. They just didn't work. That was really odd. Those are things that, yeah, I would want to... uh, you know, tidy up a bit, but yeah. they, 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 they were just things. And again, these have th- been things that have entertained me in previous mm-hmm. watches. Yeah. So it's just about having and had watched this a few yeah. times, and you know what it's like when you rewatch a thing a few times. There are things that used to excite you that no longer do, and now other things within the material yeah. draw your attention. Okay. And you know, with three years, Chris Rock had plenty of time to fix these issues. Oh, I'm sure Chris Rock and his amazing <laughs> version where Peter Dinklage is in it as well as the same character. But uh, yeah, we'll 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 talk about. You'll it. have to tell me about it because I haven't Rock, seen it. <laughs> Chris Rock's version. Uh, now, talk to talk to us all about some of the positive experiences you had. Any particular moments that stood out, or characters, or, or storylines, stuff like that. Um. Probably not too surprising, but Uncle Alfie is a type of comedy character that is just right up my alley. <laughs> I knew it. I fucking knew it. It's like let's let's not even beat about the bush. Like obviously this was a character that like really tickled it for me. It was just very cranky. And then those they had that one moment with was it the slimy best friend character where like he was like, Oh, women problems was that something? Yes. Yeah, yeah, with with him. It's like, ah, oh, women problems, Uncle Alfie like breaks his like grumpy exterior to like a story you think he's gonna be going like <laughs> yeah. somewhere to help this and, character yeah. have an arc and like there were a few things he said in it that were really funny it's like oh when she walked into the room everyone wanted to fuck her and it's like <laughs> ooh, ooh, saucy there and then it just gets interrupted by oh i need to go take a shit and then and now that story develops <laughs> and that <laughs> the is, shit story develops yeah. and that is it for those two characters dynamic for the film because he, they never interacted he never interacted he doesn't really interact with anyone else really other than the select few leads <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, I knew you would be an Alfie fan. I just yeah. knew uh, that actor, really great. Um, he was in Game of Thrones, and uh, the few other people in this were in Game of Thrones because, of course, they were. They're, they're I think British. I read that that was his last role, Game of Thrones. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. he was. Yeah, he was up there. 
But uh, yeah, Alfie's wonderful. I I mean, I'm a sucker for um, a good poo gag like anyone else, and uh, <laughs> See, that I- that sequence there is is disgusting. But I I I adore how it is uh, constructed visually, and just the music dropping out, and just just all of it is just masterfully crafted from uh, the from the behind the camera I'm, of it all. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of like poo comedy, but it worked for this film because it had to happen to that character of all characters. It did. The, it the did. hypochondriac. It really, really did have to happen to him. Um, like the the sudden spike of agitation as soon as he realizes a bit on his face too. <laughs> yeah. My favorite character was actually our, our lead character, uh the the son who is all anxious about giving the eulogy and uh his legacy and uh being a writer and his girlfriend was his wife or girlfriend. Wife. Go, yeah, wife, wife, wife. Yeah, wife, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wife wanting to get an apartment and I, I, I really found him to be the one that drew me in, specifically the moment where he decides that he's not going to pay Peter Dinklage. I thought that was a very strong performance from the actor, and I totally agreed with the character. And there was humour to be had there as well, where where he very, very sternly and very, again, this is said with absolute uh, um, uh, sincerity, and I, and I mean this as a positive, Britishness in his voice where he said like I was okay with it before but then you know he comes to my father's funeral blah, 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 and he insults my writing in front of my face <laughs> I can't abide by that and you're like yeah. yeah yeah I just found him and a lot of his reactions to be hilarious because they were very realistic reactions and I I had a particular laugh out loud moment where uh when he's realizing all the gay paraphernalia in the house, <laughs> but then Peter Dinklage is noticing that he's noticing stuff, and then Peter Dinklage starts looking around, and then he's also going on this journey as well. Like, you <laughs> get like just from Peter Dinklage's face that Peter Dinklage is also like, oh yeah, there's a lot of gay stuff here. Huh? Both of them had some very good eye acting, yeah, very much. And yeah, Matthew McFadden, he's a really great actor. You can just tell that he's like. Uh, a thing to praise about Death at a Funeral is, yes, there's funny actors here, like comedic actors here, but this is very much made up of of uh, non-comedians, and I think it adds to the film overall. What do you think about that? Because you look over this cast, and a lot of them aren't, like, comedy people. Like, when you hear Death at a Funeral, and it's like a British comedy, there may be some certain names you would expect to pop up or just certain kind of actors but this doesn't really make up of that for me um i didn't really other than peter dinklage i don't really know anyone by name i don't think Mm -hmm. um certainly when i looked them up afterwards just to make sure i had seen them in something like a couple of them i technically seen in something but not remembered I think um, the hypochondriac best friend was like a prison guard in some mm-hmm. movie. I think it might have been a superhero film or something. It's like, oh, okay, I'll take their word for it. I think it might have been The Last Jedi. Okay. I think he was apparently yeah. in that, but I, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the I guess the fact that I didn't really recognize anyone played to that where I, I didn't really know what to expect from these people. You know, if it was like a, you know, star-studded cast of like British actors and actresses 
maybe then my expectations would have been something. Um, like this doesn't have Hugh Grant in it, which you can mm. easily imagine the Hugh Grant version yeah, of this. Or Rowan Atkinson as the second, you know, priest running it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you can definitely see that they make a valiant attempt not to fall into the four weddings and a funeral style comedy. Yeah, we rom- were listing actors from that, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. Um but there's lots of well-known, like, or at least good British character acting people here, as well as, like I said, some... Uh, this is the first thing I knew Peter Dinklage from. This was what introduced it me It must have to... been for me, too. Not Elf? Yeah. I, oh, I definitely saw Elf, but I can't say I remember him in it. If I... You really don't? He was the boss. Oh, he was? Yes, that's right. Because Will Ferrell's, like, tall elf guy and he had a short... Bo- so that yeah. was Peter Dinklage? Yeah. Well, there you go. That was Dink. That was the Dinklage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll have to rewatch that film They now. <laughs> came out around... Well, same year, probably, right? Or near each other. Wasn't that 2001? What, Elf? Wasn't yeah. that, like, early 2000s? Were you saying Will Ferrell did Elf and Zoolander at the same time? Because let's I've, never forget when Zoolander look, appara- came out. Apparently, I have trouble listing Peter Dinklage films in the 2000s. 2003. 2003. 2003. Okay. So a couple of years after. If Zoolander. we average our guesses, because I was going to say for 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 international people like you and me and young, you know, young when when Zoolander came out, that's the first thing I ever saw Will Ferrell in. Must have been for me too. I, I you know, he was still an SNL guy back then. Oh, you so, wait, you would have seen him in Austin Powers, right? Oh yeah, you. But I probably Elf, didn't remember recognize yeah. him because he was um <clears throat> in brownface. Yeah. So Elf and, would have been the first one for me though. When did you see Zoolander? Oh, later down the line. It might have been oh, wow. like late 2000s, early 2010s. I'm, I'm so sorry. Late you 2000s, missed out on probably. all the fun. But uh, what were some uh, funny moments for you? Moments that made you laugh or you um, just were even surprised by? It, uh, well, anti-surprise. It was expected, but I enjoyed the running gag of like whenever anyone would see the photograph and they'd <laughs> all have like a similar reaction of like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. That, that, very was, well that was always fun. It, again, I expected it every time, but it still worked because it was mm. a different character every time. So, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I, 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 as somebody rewatching it, uh, get a real joy out of all of the foreshadowing about the father's sexuality, all of the breadcrumbs that are strewn throughout the film, like the uh, the passage that the reverend was reading from oh, the Bible. I think a lot of the foreshadowing went over my head. So the reverend, if you go back, he reads from, what was it, the King, it's a letter King, King, James, King James Bible, right? Or Yeah. Um, he reads this certain passage about uh, these two guys fighting and then stripping off all of their clothes. And, <laughs> you know, and he ends it. He ends because he's like, he reads this exact passage from this part to this part, not the full thing. See, I remember. And he's like, the dad really loved this. And it was like, right down to the bit where they physically embraced each other naked. And that's where he like, he ends it. <laughs> uh, see, I remember uh, the dad was gay, but I, I wasn't paying attention to that because we had funny Alan Tudyk stuff going yes. on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's right. So that's why a rewatch thing, when you know there's other things like you see on the walls and like the areas that they're in. All of the pictures and the frames are of like nude men and stuff. Mm. That's not even just in his study, that's just throughout the house. And you do see like books, certain types of books around, and uh, just certain comments people are making throughout the movie, even before the reveal of just like the dad was like, you know, this man. Or even when we get to hear the son's uh, original eulogy. Mm. He even mentions that his dad had a childhood uh, uh, friend, 
you know, like his good male friend that he would spend all of his nights with, uh, you know, <laughs> Bob and all of that. And so you get a lot of these mm-hmm. things just sprinkled throughout. So yeah. I, I definitely caught like the Peter Dinklage saying, like, did he ever mention me? Kind of mm-hmm. thing. A bit more overt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another character that I really liked was the priest. I, I I imagined, yeah. He yeah. was up there for me a lot. Yeah, he he is trying to keep it together every time. He's trying uh, to be really understanding. Yeah. Every time heart. a delay is requested, he gives like a very enthusiastic, like, of course, of course. But then in like his own <laughs> moments, he's like, well, I, I have to be here till three. And it's like checking the time. It's like, and then obviously the payoff there is like when they're finally redoing the beginning of the funeral and the eulogy, he's just like rushing through it. <laughs> yep. He's rushing through that. The, the standout for me is when he hears about when he's getting distracted from the hypochondriac friend and he's really mm, like, I, was about to say, I need to phone the police. That young man up there is going to throw himself off the roof. And then he gets the, 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 the big wowzer moment from the hypochondriac friend, which is if you want to talk about that yeah the hypochondriac friend is trying to distract the priest from going into the study because that's where all of the like oh what are we going to do with the dead bodies stuff is happening mm-hmm. um and so the hypochondriac friend is very much struggling to you know justify keeping the priest still in the hallway um he's coming up with like all these things like oh i want to you know priesthood or what do you think of god like very mm-hmm. piss weak things but then eventually i hear on sundays that wine is sweeter is that true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually he's like i have to make a confession i want to like shove a pen up my bum and the priest's like what <laughs> unfortunately he cuts away from that i would have liked to see oh i like that more, but it was, it was funny that was good because when we do cut back the priest is done and it's like oh well oh well what did you think of the older brother the, the older brother, brother, um, his he had a, he his performance was good, but I felt like he was mostly a device for the main characters' like insecurities. Yeah, yeah. It's weird though because he gets very into it though. Like he, you know, he, I can see what you're saying, but what I liked about him too was. There were moments of uh, subversion with him where there's like this, we can't rely on him, he's such a flake, like, look what he did. But then, hey, brother, help me with this dead body. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, Mm. (laughs) right in there. Like, here's the photo of dad. Like, okay, well, let's deal with this man. When things get serious, it's good that he doesn't just, you know, he's not like the... The roadblock. Yeah, he's not like the asshole best friend character who's like, yeah, I I don't care about this. Yeah, I... Like, he's actually invested in, like, his father's, like... You know, saving his father's face and all that. I, I, what I liked about him was he did have a brand of comedy that I rather liked, which is, say, you can see there's the American version of this, which, you know, exists, and uh, he's not in this, but say there's an Amer- say there's another universe where the, the the American version is this older brother character's Ryan Reynolds, and you know the type of like snarky asshole, ha-ha comments that he would make. What I really like about the British sensibilities here and that specific actor is he does have those snarky remarks. He does have these uh, pithy statements to make, but they don't feel so... And Guys, it's a comedy movie. Hmm? It, it just feels like a real person who has that edge to them. But when push comes to shove, he has to be sensible as well. And so... 
I, what I liked about him was, yes, I can see what you're saying. He's a, he's, a, he's a device for the main character's insecurity. But at the same time, it's not like he's walking up on purposely nudging the main character to be insecure. It's just his existence and yeah. his he's, ideological difference to his brother. He's, does not that, like but... an, he's not like an active antagonist. It's like, oh, so how's your shit book going, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so really great up here in, you know, number one bestseller land. And he's not even bragging about his own wealth. What no, he, when he does all. talk about his wealth, it's from this absolute place of obliviousness. Yeah. And so that's what makes him and, and I And I really enjoyed that little you know, gag or joke where it's like, oh, you know, money's a bit tight. I can get it to you in a few months. Do you know how expensive first class is? <laughs> and it doesn't get called out there. But later on in the film, like when they're having their argument moment, the main character does bring up like, why are you flying first class? You know, knowing at that, that, at that you're point, have to pay for half the funeral. Yeah, at that point, calling it out is appropriate because that's the type of scene it was in. They didn't mm-hmm. have, it, it wasn't part of like the gag itself, which I right. appreciated. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I just I, I appreciated him. I, I like Rupert Graves as an actor. He's he's uh, wonderful in the television sh- series of Sherlock as uh, Lestrade. He plays Lestrade. Is that a detective? Yeah, he's the chief of police, right. um, usually, or chief inspector. But uh, yeah, he's wonderful as an actor. He's a silver fox, so it's always weird to see him in this way. He's young and he has long <laughs> black hair. He's a real. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're Do, all. Well, does he become fox. like later in his career silver fox, or was he at this point silver fox? I, I want to say Sherlock was like a year later, so I think he was already like this at this oh, point. I, I'm okay. assuming that this is a wig or like I've never seen him with long hair either outside of this. So I, I wouldn't have guessed. No, yeah. I, 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 I mean this is also probably one of the first things I saw him in. So this is what I took him as, and I remember years into watching Sherlock, finding out that he was a guy from Death at a Funeral because he looks so different and he mm. acts very differently too. He's a chameleon, it sounds like. Yes, yes, but very handsome, very handsome. Yeah, he's handsome, sure. Uh, can we talk about Peter Dinklage? No, nah, we can. <laughs> what do you what do you think about Peter Dinklage in this film and what his character is? Like you said earlier, he's playing it very straight, very much like a drama, and I really, really enjoyed that. Like every single time, like he approaches our main character, you know, be, before and he's getting blown off. He, much like the priest, is very understanding. It's like, of course, we can do it later. Um, I mentioned the eye acting before, like, there are so many moments where just, like, his face, it's, like, a little bit mopey, just says a lot. Um, I remember the the moment where, like, he says the line that's really cluing in our main character, like, oh, it was a gay affair. Like, he, he had this look of, like, yeah, that's it. And I, I really enjoyed that. I thought he was doing a lot of really great, like you said, dramatic acting, which led itself to... <laughs> You know, a lot of comedy. Other thing I I I really want to uh, thank the film for, and I, I think this is what makes it age particularly well. Is there's not a lot of derogatory humor made from the Peter Dinklage yep. side, whether it is him being say. gay or being a dwarf. Now there are jokes that refer to these things, but they aren't themselves bigoted or, or or negative things. So for instance, 
there is a joke about Peter Dinklage's height made in the movie about like you know how how you think people won't notice him like he's like four feet tall like everyone's mm. gonna and the fact that they, they were can, just pointing out the fact that he stands out yeah. yeah and the fact that they can fit him in the coffin and yeah. so there are things like that but it never is ha ha he's a dwarf ha ha isn't it funny that the dad was in relationship with a gay dwarf like it's not uh it's not got that attitude behind it at all but it reminds me very strongly of uh, the television series It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where they have Danny DeVito in that show. You know this. Yeah, you told me this. And rarely part. ever do they make jokes about him being short or little person. There are references to it. There are occasional gags about it, but it isn't the defining thing. And we see that often be the case when there are actors who are little people or dwarfs. And so... That's what elf. That's why Peter Dinklage is an elf because he's a little person, and wouldn't it be funny if Tall Will Ferrell thinks he's an elf, and he gets upset about that? And so that's and that's all he exists for in, in that movie. Like, could you tell me anything else you remember about that character, an elf? No, that's it. I had to be reminded of the film itself. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And so I appreciate that. And with the gay stuff as well, like not bigoted towards him for being gay they're annoyed by him for having to blackmail them about- there's barely any it's all any reference to like oh he's gay it's more that the dad was gay yes the yeah. dad was gay and even when they find out the dad was gay it's more like uh oh, oh dad was gay the sons accept it and they think it's like it's a more of a surprise but the the fear comes from uh, uh, the other people finding out the yeah, social because he's married mm-hmm. and you know, this was a secret, he and it would kept. upset the mother. Yeah, and, and there's photographs and there's pornographic photographs. So that is where a lot of the fear comes from. And even then, by the end of the movie, they handle it really wonderfully. I, I, where I, I, yeah. it's even this wonderful monologue, the the eulogy that he the son ends up giving about how his dad was this flawed person, and there were things that. Mm he put away for himself but like he is what he really was and so any of the stigma that the comedy could have easily have had by having the mother look at the gay photos and beat up peter dinklage or his brother reacting to it, like oh and his stern stern very uh uh you know stiff upper lip brother could have been like oh my brother but they really deflate all of the stigma that you could easily have put into this I was going to say they they didn't do this thing, but technically they did. They mm. they didn't bury the gay. Oh, <laughs> they tried. To, they tried to bury two gays, they but they only bury buried one. Gays. There is that great gag though, where um they put him in the sixty nine position in the coffin. He's like, yeah, yeah I- a part of me thinks this is what Dad would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, that was a brother. He had a great. Yes, so I remember. That, yeah, that was a great one. <laughs> <laughs> and he strokes the dad's head while saying it like tenderly, like I love you, Dad. It's like you know, in a weird way, I think this is what Dad would have wanted. <laughs> and the brother gets so upset. This is this is what I always think of Peter Dinklage for. Uh, 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 I think of Peter Dinklage for Death at a Funeral. Um, what is your relationship with Peter Dinklage as as a performer? Uh, have you seen him in much? Aware of him? Uh, that's the thing. I haven't really seen him in much. I, I'm only really aware of him because he became such a big thing thanks to Game of Thrones. So, And I haven't watched any Game of Thrones. I made a joke about watching it yesterday, but <laughs> that wasn't serious, guys. That okay. wasn't serious. He's, 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 um, he's being a lol. I, I was being a lol. And I think... Oh, no, we'll, we'll talk it seriously. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I... Yeah, so he he's a face that I recognise. It's like, 
oh, he becomes famous because of this thing I haven't seen. But myself, I haven't seen him in too much. This is what comes to mind. Mm. Uh, Elf will now come to mind. Um, And I can't really think of anything else. Oh, he's a voice in the Destiny game. Yeah, I'm aware of that. that. But they, yeah, they got rid of him and I think brought him back. I know that he... Uh, simply because I'm a Your Movie Sucks fan, he was like, they did a... Tiptoes. Tiptoes, was that the name of the film? Yes, the uh, dwarf br- movie where uh, Gary Oldman plays a dwarf <laughs> who's just on his knees while Peter Dinklage is fucking standing right there <laughs> who should be the lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh, he's had a very interesting and uh, great career overall. Uh, I think it's fair to say that he's one of the most successful, well-known and celebrated uh, actors who's a, who's a little person. He's very much, and I'm not saying that this is always the case, but he's very much the, an actor where he can play roles where it doesn't come up or matter that he's a dwarf. Like, that is often something that does not happen. Mm. He often is labelled with that. Like, I really loved him in X-Men Days of Future Past, where he plays the villain in that. He plays... Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, it's never mentioned that he's he's a, he's a dwarf, but there's a dramatic irony because he's anti-mutants. He's anti-people who are other or different or not uh, genetically uh, pure. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're you do you do you not see the irony to your statement? But like they never say it, and he's he's so good in that movie because he plays it like how he does here in Death at a Funeral, which is this is what I took away. I've watched six seasons of Game of Thrones and um, what I got from Death at a Funeral really gave me more of an understanding of Peter Dinklage's acting ability, which is he is very expressive with that face. The key to his success as an actor is how emotive those eyes and that face is. I was going to say earlier, his first shot where it's, maybe it was the first or second, when um. When he's like looking, he's in the distance, he's looking at the main character. The main character's like looking around the corner. His wife comes in. It's like, hey, what's going on? It's like, do you see that guy over there looking at me? Mm-hmm. And like, they they weren't really pointing out at all that, like, oh, he's a short person. They no. were just pointing out, like, that he's staring at me. And he really did stand out. And you can see, if you're looking at him throughout the scene, like, his eyes are just focused on the direction of the main character. So it's very clear that, yeah, he is staring at him. Peter Dinklage in Game of Thrones is truly spectacular, and uh, you know he gets a really well-written character. But what's his lo- character's name in that? Uh, Tyrion. Tyrion. Um, and a part of the success of that performance is not just his wonderful ability to deliver lines, but just the the way he carries himself and the looks and the expressions. And he he is a very good actor, and I'm glad that you know he has had major success, and that he's continuing to be uh, a, a voice and uh, an artistic uh, um, presence. Because yeah, I, I think he is wonderful, and I will always think of him for Death at a Funeral, where the writing of this could be dropped. Where now, let's t- is it time to talk? about the American version, or do you want to talk more about things within this? Is there any other moments or things or uh, sequences that you want to tap into before we divert away? Uh, I'm good either way. Do you have anything more? I'm trying to think. Uh, We haven't talked about the nephew at all. Did we like him? 
He was fine. I, was I, right. I think he he did a great job of playing up being funny without it being winking. Mm. I like that he travelled between a lot of the stories a lot. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's, if we could have had like something like that for that the slimy friend or something, that would have been that would have yeah. been wonderful. So in 2010, Chris Rock made an American version of this, and. It's very bad. So you've seen it. Kevin Hart is the guy at the beginning who drops off the coffin. Mm-hmm. And do you remember how the guy who drops off the coffin at the beginning of this movie barely spoke and uh, his comedic presence was from the minimal amount of things he said, but they were the juxtaposition of very prim, proper, like he's bowing his head in respect. Yeah. And it's like, who's this? And it's like, oh, shit, and, and we've some, got the wrong yeah. one. And then they run. Now imagine, The comedy came from like their facade yeah, being now, broken. Now imagine Kevin Hart being that guy and you get five minutes of rambling back and forth between him and Chris Rock. <laughs> That's the movie. So it is all of... Five minutes cl- for like a 25-second scene. Yeah, cl- and here's a great example of the difference between the two films. Mm-hmm. They open up the coffin. Who's this? Looks at the body. It's just some other guy, some other white guy. Well, we see the body and then who's this? Okay, yeah. so so you see the body. Okay, we the audience go, oh, yeah, that's just some guy. And then he reacts, who's this? And then we look back and it's, uh, who's this? And they're like, oh, shit, we got the wrong one. In the American one, they open up the coffin, and it's a Chinese guy. Okay. And you're like, okay. Because mm-hmm. with, the, with the British version, you know, we see the body, and we, the audience, are thinking like, oh, okay, that must be, you know, someone important to him. Yeah. But then the who's this is a punchline of like, oh, it's unfamiliar to the main character. And Matthew McFadden delivers it with that mm. understated. Chris Rock is Mr. Who's this? What are you doing? How could you screw this <laughs> up? And it's like a whole back and forth because, you know, mm. more talking means more comedy. Yeah. And so it's very much of that school. Was it's shaky a- cam. Yeah. Lots of shaky camera. Is this an improvised or written comedy? They do have direct riffs and lifts. From- what it is to me is, and this is what I gathered. So Chris Rock saw this film in an art house cinema where there were very few people seeing it. And he said, this should be playing in multiplexes or cineplexes. Like people should see this. I know how people can see this. I'll make it remake it. But with me and my friends in it, who will draw in an audience. Yeah. Okay. And what I gather is he got the script for this and then punched it up to be more mm-hmm. like I can make it better. Like if I reference Oprah in this moment here or oh, that's do what the this film was or do this or do this. So it very much falls into that trap we see in a lot of American comedies of this ilk where they just like they think the comedy is just more talking. Just just oh where even if you did like a gag, the gag is now ruined because they keep going with it. They keep they just don't stop. So mm. I was thinking about Ghostbusters twenty sixteen I, I rewatched a clip of it last night because my biggest question that I could not remember was Peter Dinklage is in both films. How is Peter Dinklage portraying the character in the American film? And the answer is the answer is thankfully he isn't playing it stupid or over the top. The sad thing to report is he does nothing. So what I mean by that is, so you have that scene where he's showing the photos and he plays it very tenderly in the British film. He's very much like, this is a genuine moment. Like, oh, this is a photo of me on the bus. Ooh, I'm so ugly. And it's, and it's real, it's raw, but it's still a little funny because we're discovering, along with our main character, oh, okay, 
I think I know what's going on here. But in the American one, it is just he is dryly delivering lines. And then it's all it's all Chris Rock. It's all about Chris Rock. Hey, Chris Rock is reacting. Chris Rock's saying things. Chris Rock is saying like, just because your my dad saw showgirls with you doesn't mean he's gay. I saw showgirls with my dad doesn't mean I'm like it's all about Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. And Peter Dinklage is just there too. But here's another difference is to even amplify that point more. Peter Dinklage is a device to make the comedy happen for everybody else instead of being allowed to be funny himself. I praised moments ago about the revelation of the father being gay by the son looking around the room and noticing all the gay objects. In this film, the American one, Chris Rock notices the men wrestling statue and he freaks out and then he looks at Peter Dinklage and Peter Dinklage is looking around the room, indicating things around the room to show Chris Rock. Oh, right. Like, have you looked at this yet? Have you looked at this yet? And then so Chris Rock is now the one who's getting more and more of the focus. Well, what I found funny in that British version was the fact that not only is Matthew McFadden funny in it, but then Peter Dinklage is also having a little journey too. And there's layers to it, but that is how I would describe the American version. It is this film with added chunks to it and more of a focus on the lead man being funny, funny all the time. I was going to say with this film, and it's really great that Matthew McFadden was your favourite uh, mm-hmm. actor character in it, I could almost see a lot of uh, some people, you know, watching this film and thinking that, oh, th- this is like the thankless role of the film. He has to be the straight man who, like, takes everything seriously mm-hmm. and it helps to facilitate characters, but, you know, not necessarily like a favourite part. But so, sometimes the straight man is the one you like. Yeah, yeah. but that's, their, their function is very much appreciated. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, with this Chris Rock performance, it sounds like, oh, no, we are absolutely not doing that. <laughs> no, no, no. And it has to be, even if he is the straight man, he still has to have gags. Because mm. it's always about gags. It's always about, like, some pop culture reference or some ha-ha-ha line. Not even witty. Just... You didn't expect that to come out yeah, you, of my mouth right now. You mentioned the showgirls thing before and, mm. and the Oprah thing. I'm like, oh, man, pop culture reference. And even though I was not thinking about it at all, like, oh, this film's missing them, it really kind of does drive home that this film didn't rely on pop culture references. No, it relied on the characters and the narrative. Like, it mentioned, you know, the London buses, but the, it's that's barely, just culture. barely anything, yeah. Yeah, and uh, some minor cultural references. Like, I'm sure that the place that the dad and Peter Dinklage go to, like that street or whatever, is a, is a, is a gay uh, area. Probably a telling thing, yeah. But uh, for us Australians, we don't know necessarily, but you can already gather that There's from all so the other many, clues. There are so many things happening there that it's already coming across. Now, are you ready for the pin to be taken out of Love Wedding Repeat. Yeah, sure. I have no idea where this is going. They both exist. Wow. When we covered Love Wedding Repeat, I looked up who wrote the film, and I remarked, my God, this is from the guy who wrote Death at a Funeral. I really love Death at a Funeral. Oh, that Dean something? Mm-hmm. Okay. Same writer. And now that you know that, doesn't this all make sense? A lot of the elements from this get not just recycled, but it's almost a photocopy of a photocopy. I even mentioned earlier this episode, like, wasn't there like the slimy friend in that as well? Mm-hmm. And you also have just so many other elements we- like the that. The wedding date was obscuring me, but yeah. So Love Wedding Repeat is a film written by this guy, and 
what I put it down to, not only is it just the lack of creativity, because sadly, I want to, I mean, I don't want to, sadly, I have to say I should, rather, is this writer is a one-trick pony. Mm -hmm. He did Death at a Funeral. Then he did a film called A Few Best Men. I saw that. That's another one that I thought of, but yeah, there you go. And then he did Love Wedding Repeat. They're all the same movie, <laughs> but diminishing returns. See, when I, before, when I was coming into this episode, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll compare it to The Wedding Date and Love Wedding Repeat because we've done Come those. cover them. I also thought of A Few Best Men, but like we haven't done it. So I was like, oh, no need to think about diminishing it. Diminishing returns and- All three films, same writer. Mm-hmm, and different directors. And I don't want to uh, uh, speak ill of those other directors, but you really feel the lack of uh, that oomph factor that you get here from Frank Oz. It's not even as if Frank Oz is being showy in his presentation, but just the music, the shot compositions, the editing, the cuts, the 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 direction of the actors... You can tell that this is a very, very experienced director who's worked in comedies before, but also isn't afraid to go that extra mile beyond just being... Like, if you didn't know this was Frank Oz, would you have even assumed that this was this was an American director of this very British film? No, I didn't. So when I, was, when I finished the film and it said, like, directed by Frank Oz, I'm like, oh yeah, it was directed by him. Is he British? No. Then I went on Wikipedia and it's like, no, he's American. So there we are. The, the the Love Wedding Repeat stuff did actually enter my mind because when I was watching, I was thinking about Love Wedding Repeat. Then I was like, oh, that's right. Same writer. <laughs> and it actually did minorly impact my pleasure of Death at a Funeral, looking at the elements going, they're going to reuse that and that and that and that. And uh, they're going to make it worse, worse, worse. Like, I thought about like the 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 comedy friends, and it made me think about in the film Love It Wedding Repeat. They have uh, the Irish friend uh, of the chick who's played by um, I can't remember that actress's name, like Ashling B or Aisling B, who's very funny. And the thing that I criticized that movie for was she never really got to be funny in that movie. Like they didn't just didn't give her anything. And I'm like, wasn't it? It's so weird that they got a really funny person to not do any funny something like remarks. That, yeah. And it made me think about this movie where it's like um different characters, but it made me think about the the um Ewan Bremner character where he can be very funny. And in this movie he's not really he's one of the least funny characters in it. Is that the slimy friend? Yeah. And it's yeah. not without lack of trying. He's very much trying to be using the things I love about him, but yeah, I... I mean, he sold the sliminess, I guess. Mm, but, oh, yeah. I loved his suit. The more you got to look at, like, the <laughs> stitching on his suit... When when the when you have that uh, reverse shot of, like, the, mm. the niece, like, outside the uh, the bathroom and, like, he's, like, leaning against the mm. wall and you like, see how skinny he is and mm. diagonal, it's like, oh, man. You can see why in Trainspotting he played the, the most addicted heroin addict character. <laughs> I can believe that now, he, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that is... Death at a Funeral, that's all I have to say. I do recommend this. I still think it holds up quite nicely. It still is a fun time. It has the right amount of sentimentality mixed with the uh, laugh-out-loud, over-the-top, raunchy humour, but it never goes too overboard where it becomes gratuitous and really solid performances. And one last thing, I really like the touch of 
like in the ending credits when it showed the actors that they chose to sh- use like bloopers. Yes, but only very quick ones. Quick ones, yeah. It it really gave the sense that like oh the the film is having fun, the people making it were having fun. And it was even funny to see, like, the characters that weren't corpsing, like Uncle yeah. Alfie and all that. Yeah, or even the stone father didn't really corpse that much. It was yeah. somebody else off-camera said something and he reacted like, okay. Mm. And that was mainly it. So it's like, the two most, I guess, aggressive characters yeah. you could say in the movie were the actors who didn't get to corpse as often. We also had, like, the, the dissonance of, like, you know... We we'll, we keep talking about how Peter Dinklage was really dramatic, and then he does like a silly, like almost Carlton dance. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. that was uh, great to see. But that is Death at a Funeral. Recommends yes, from I do. Both of us. Yeah. So next episode is a listening people's suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a suggestion from somebody we're hoping will come on next week to be a guest. Ooh. Uh, so, uh, the film is Charlie's Angels, the Mick G film starring Drew Barrymore. Okay. And, uh, uh, Lucy Liu and, um... Yeah, I think I've seen, yeah, I've seen it. Drew, uh, Cameron Diaz, of course, our favourite queen, Cameron Diaz. Yes, I like Cameron Diaz. Ooh, yes, yes, and it has Crispin Glover in it, and Tim Curry. So it's a real winner of a film, Charlie's Angels, recommended by our friend Sam. Sam Noonan. Oh, Sam Noonan. Recommending a film. He has recommended a film for us previously that's been on a... It's like at the top of our list. Something like Hydro? Yeah, and I asked him, well, are you going to do that movie? And he's too afraid to talk to I us remem- about that movie because he's so bad. He doesn't... He He's like... I remember his comment on our on our Facebook page was, was some... I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something foreboding. Like this is something that he an experience for him. So I, I was trying. I've been trying to convince him to come on to do that, but he just won't do it. So I was like, "Oh, okay. I would like you to come on." So come on for something. So gave me a few options. Charlie's Angels seemed the most uh, appropriate. Uh, so that is it, Charlie's Angels. Make sure for yourself, listening people, to give that a view in the uh, meantime. Uh, you can find us on the internet, uh, on Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. We post on there. You can drop us a message. You can email us over at where, Bartek? That email is spitandpolished at gmail.com. That is all we have got for you. If you've not rated and reviewed the podcast, you can do so. Just lift up that hand, drag it over to whatever device allows you to click on things, whether it is your mouse or your phone, and just head on over to your podcast hosting site of choice and just drop us a rating and review. We would love to uh, hear from you what you think of the show and just get your support as well. And if you somehow have some, you know, device that's operated by voice, you know, you don't have to be as smart Alec and tell us like, oh, I don't have to drag my hand anywhere. I just have to say it. Like, mm-hmm. you can skip that step. Just do that, okay? Okay, just do that, please. Please. But um, until next time, listening people, remember to be kind to each other and that, wow. I was gonna. I don't know what to say. Just, just. I don't say it again. Bark it. (laughs) I don't know what to say.